1: Welcome back to the podcast. I am super excited to have one of my two-time former clients, Samara, here today. So Samara, tell us about yourself and a little bit about your work.
2: Yay! I'm so excited to be here. So my name is Samara Potter, and I am a pediatric oncologist and a life coach. And I specialize in helping parents of children with cancer navigate their child's cancer journey so that they feel more confident and that they're really able to
1: feel empowered and better parent during that whole ordeal. such important work. And i you're such a good example of like a pediatric oncologist. I'm like, I'm so far out of my league with you as a client, but <laughs> it just goes to show that everybody needs mindset work and emotional help and planning, right? I think that doctors more than many
2: people <laughs> I mean I think that I originally came to you for Monday hour one, I think, because I was just so stressed with all the amount of projects I was supposed to be doing at one time and trying to figure out how to prioritize and get my schedule up and running. So yeah, I don't I don't think that I don't think that the work that you do has anything to do with, you know, whether you need a coach. Everybody can use one.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, let's talk about Monday Hour One. This has been dropped uh, multiple times on the podcast recently. So for anyone who's not familiar, super simple. It's how to plan out your week in one hour. So I do 9 a.m. Monday mornings, but I have a lot of clients who will do it like Friday afternoons or Sunday evenings. You plan out your entire week and then you figure out how to blend your priorities, blend your commitments, make sure that everything has a time and space on your calendar so that you can just follow your calendar throughout the week without a ton of thought or rearranging. So that's why you came originally. What piqued your interest in Monday Hour One and the other tools that I provide?
2: So for Monday Hour One, I think what I had been doing was I was listening to the Life Coach School podcast. And so I had heard about Monday Hour One, but I didn't really understand what it was. And then I was Googling it and trying to figure (laughs) out exactly what it was like, as we all do right yeah so I landed on your website and you were offering these free workshops and I was really excited because who doesn't like free things and <laughs> it seemed like just like what I was what I was um, wanting and I remember being on a call and it was just you and me and one other woman and you we were talking and really explaining it and it probably was pretty early on in your coaching. Journey, but I did not. First of all, I didn't. For any other coaches out there, I did not know <laughs> that, and I didn't care about it. All I knew was that you could help me with something, a problem I was having, and so I was all in. And I, I, um, you know, I took that and I went. I kind of ran with it, and I remember afterwards having a call with you about what I this eight week program that you were doing, Have Finished to Done, and I hadn't really thought about it ahead of time. And at the time, I was suffering from a lot of money scarcity issues, which I think are super common. And I think especially for doctors who are kind of right new out of training and dealing with a lot of student loans, we are a lot of times very concerned about finances, even, even though a lot of people think, oh, you know, doctors, they should make so much money. At a certain point we've borrowed so much money. It's just like monopoly money. It doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> right. so, um, so I was concerned about the price and I remember you kind of probing me on that and not in a pressuring way, but in a, just a really curious way of, Hey, so what would a price be that you would be comfortable with? And like, why are you thinking about that? And it was just so funny because it had literally never occurred to me to think about those, those questions. Like, wow, well, I don't know Why? And long story short, I, I took a little while to think about it. And then I signed up and I guess the rest is history. So.
1: yes, So this was back in, I was just looking, January 2021. So let's talk a little bit about that money scarcity. So what I think is really interesting is that it is usually not about the actual money itself, right? Some people don't actually have the money to pay for coaching, but a lot of people do have the money. And are still like, I don't want to pay that money. So I remember this conversation with you super vividly. Do you remember like what was really going on below the surface of not wanting to spend that money?
2: Yeah, I felt like I didn't deserve it. I mean, that was the issue. And I think that what I compared it to was I would be willing to spend what I maybe spent on one of my kids, you know, after school activities or something because maybe I was worth investing that much, right? Which is so funny and so crazy when you think about, obviously, I thought that I was worth investing in because I went to medical school, right? My education was worth investing in. And that had never really been a question to me. And, you know, of course, certain other items that we use every day, right? Right a vehicle to get to work or, you know, shelter, all these things, you know, of course we're worth investing, but why wasn't I willing to invest in my happiness? It was just so interesting. Right now in retrospect, (laughs) thinking about it, but at the time it was just like, well, that's just true.
1: So often we don't invest in our mental and emotional health. And I don't even know that it's not that we're unwilling. It's that we haven't, it hasn't even occurred to us that that would be worth investing in. I would never in an accusing way say to a potential client, like, why aren't you willing to invest in your mental and emotional health? Because it just hasn't occurred to most people that A, that's an option, and that B, that's a super solid option because your mindset and your emotions are with you all day, every day.
2: Yeah, and I think that, you know, the role of society in this can't be ignored, which is... That I had a lot of thoughts, and I think that these are a lot of the same thoughts that my clients have about what a good mother is. And a good mother is someone who puts everyone else's needs before their own, right? Like that's a very heavily ingrained societal norm for us here in the US, right? A good mother is self sacrificing, and a good mother asks everybody else if they're you know, they're okay. And then considers herself last. And what I hadn't recognized was that none of those thoughts were actually serving me. And what they were just doing was making me think that I wasn't important enough to take care of. And what it really meant was that I didn't have the bandwidth, I hadn't built up the reserves because I hadn't been taking care of myself to really be able to take care of the people I love in the way that I can now.
1: Yeah. I was just telling a client this analogy that I was like, it's like you're a Sherpa going up a mountain and you've just decided that you're silently going to take on everybody's baggage. And then you're just trudging up this mountain suffering and everyone around you is just like trotting along and they have no idea what a burden that you've taken upon yourself. And for what? At what cost?
2: Yeah. And then the other the other part of that, right, is that sometimes to relieve of yourself of that burden, you have to give some of those bags back to people. And then people get upset with you, right? And people say, okay, never mind. You were upset with me. I'm going to take that bag back, right? <laughs> it's like... No, they're just, their expectations were a little off,
1: right? Yeah. Well, and I think too, to continue the analogy, if you've spent decades relieving other people of their pain and suffering and taking it upon yourself, you've trained them. You've trained them to expect that. And so of course they're uncomfortable. And of course they're annoyed or whatever emotion comes up for them when the expectations have changed, right? When all of a sudden they're not being relieved of their burden anymore by you.
2: Yeah. Well, you've changed the rules of the game and, and, you know, they didn't have a problem with the game before. (laughs)
1: Right. I actually said this, I think on another podcast that I read a meme that said the only people who are mad about you setting boundaries are the people who benefited from you having none. Yeah, Yeah. That totally makes sense. Okay. So this is so good. So your role as a mother, like your identity as a mother that came up when you were deciding whether to invest, but what made you ultimately decide that the program had enough of what you needed to make the investment? Like what was the promise that I was saying that that you were enticed by?
2: I honestly, it's hard to think about it. It's hard to remember all the way back. Yeah. I think it was... The idea that I was going to be able to focus and, I guess, focus on demand, and I guess the backstory to this is that, and part of the whole reason that I knew that I needed help after 37 years of doing things a different way is because I had failed my pediatric oncology board exams, and which is something that I had a lot of shame about for many years. And, you know, I'm sure probably some of my family is horrified that I'm saying this on a podcast, but (laughs) I'm not not ashamed of it now. I think it was, it came out of the same mindset, right? The same mindset of, well, I'm going to do everything that everybody else needs first, right? And then I'll have time to study, right? And then... (laughs) It was very interesting because I had, I mean, up until that point, I had been able to do everything that I ever really wanted to accomplish without really having any serious negative consequences, without ever failing anything. I mean, I was 37 years old before I failed my first thing, which I'm sure I failed other stuff like, I don't know, roller skating, but not stuff that I cared about, right? (laughs) So, you know, I failed my first exam at 37 by two points. (laughs) And it was devastating and it made me question everything about who I was and what my worth was, my value was as a person, all sorts of things. And I found myself realizing I had to study for my exam and thinking, oh gosh, I really don't want to do this and I really need to learn how to focus better because every time I would sit down, I felt, I, I felt what I called resistance at that time. What do you call it now? Well, so I think one of the things that you taught me was resistance is one of those, it's like a tarp, right? It's it, one of those emotions that is not really the emotion that's bothering you. It's, it's just, <laughs> it's covering something else. So I usually, if I'm feeling resistance, I try to, I try to journal do some thought work and then really try to get down to what is the thought that I'm having and what is the actual feeling in my body that I'm having um, that's uncomfortable for me that it was otherwise showing up as resistance.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so for, for anyone listening, a lot of times that's like the feelings of inadequacy or resentment, fear, out, those kinds of things. Okay, so quick recap to just set the scene back where we are right when you enrolled. So you have this really pivotal moment. And so, for anyone listening, like, think if there's a pivotal moment for you where, like, your way of doing things for so long worked until it didn't to a point. Right. And then it's that moment where you have to really reassess and figure out a way to do things differently so here's my question. Why did focus on demand feel like the solution that you needed in that moment?
2: I think because I found myself just trying to focus on anything else other than what I knew I needed to do. And so I guess I thought, well, I need to just be able to make some sort of plan that, that will work for me for this. I think I, I was thinking about it as procrastination, right? Like I'm procrastinating studying. And so that's how it showed up for me, which is so funny because of course, after two rounds of half finished to done, I don't even think about myself as a procrastinator anymore. Like anytime I see people with <laughs> procrastination, so I'm like, yeah, I don't do that.
1: It's not a problem for me. <laughs> oh my God. I freaking love that. <laughs> That is amazing.
2: But I think I thought about it as procrastination. And whereas I think now and with hindsight and some more insight into what was going on, what was really happening was that I had a lot of very uncomfortable feelings around this test and taking this test that I had never dealt with and feelings of, inadequacy that I had never dealt with that were, of course, my brain was hiding from that. Anytime I I tried to address it, right? Anytime I would bring up studying, it would go, oh no, let's not, let's not focus on this. Let's go read a book instead or do something else. And so I knew something had to change. And so I enrolled. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay, let's pause there because I want to really emphasize this. So when we say focus on demand, what we're really talking about is one of the three skills. So we talked about Monday r One. This skill we're talking about is the deep work. So carving out the focused, uninterrupted time to do your most important work. And you've hit on such an important point, which is that sometimes I think people come in being like, okay, great. Teach me a process. I'll set myself up for deep work. I'll focus. Done. And I'm like, I do have specific processes, right? There's a 15-minute guide that you walk through that does exist. And sometimes it is just logistically, you need to figure out how to focus on demand. But to your point, so often, probably 99.9% of the time, there's an unexamined emotion that's holding you back from being able to go all in on the work that's in front of you. So your brain's like, I don't want to deal with that. Let's go. Like you said, let's go distract. Let's go find something else. So that cannot be. The importance of that I'm like, it happens one hour at a time, but it's really the skill set of looking at your negative emotions and working through them.
2: Yeah. And yet I think the, the thing that I was so impressed by was that I didn't need to get all of that emotional work done in order to get the work done that I needed to to pass my boards, which I did with flying colors, by the way. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> <laughs> that... You know, it can seem like, oh, well, what, in eight weeks I'm supposed to just get over all my emotional problems that are blocking me from doing that? Yeah, no, no, of course not, right? Uh, It's a, we're all works in progress. But what it did was it gave me concrete tools and it basically allowed me to create a space in my brain for, okay, yeah, I know that all that stuff is going on. It just can't happen right now.
1: Yes. Yes. Okay. That is so powerful. So what I hear from a lot of people is like, okay, well, I have all these like negative emotions or I have all this mindset, whatever the words people use, they're like, okay, I have to go deal with that. Like I feel not good enough. I have imposter syndrome. I have perfectionism. All these things. And they're like, I need to solve that before I can work on a project. And I'm like, no, working on the project is what helps you through that. It's the solution, right? And, and
2: And what it is, and when you can really access a deep work state, it's meditation is what it is. It's the process of meditation and of showing your brain, you know, okay, I see you and I see you wanting to focus on these other things and that's okay, right? I'll write it down and then I'm going to come back to the other thing because now's not the time. And it's that practicing. And once you have that, then you have the confidence that, you know what? I can have terrible stuff going on in the background of my life (laughs) and I can still get on with the things that I need to do to keep going.
1: Yeah. And to be clear, it's not that unhealthy, like, okay, I'm just going to push down and suppress the negative things that are happening, pretend they're not happening, and then white-knuckle my way through work. Like, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about seeing the things, acknowledging them, and gently putting them aside so that you can work. So I don't know if you – remember this, but I have this concept that I call weep while you work. And it's like half joking. It's like a cheeky title, but it's basically the idea is sometimes you can literally just cry while you're working. And I say that because I think so many people have this mindset of like, I have to be in the perfect, happy, clappy, productive mood in order to do my work. And I'm like, no, you can feel like shit and still get your work done in a healthy way. (laughs)
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely a process, right? And one of the things that I think I struggled a lot with, even in that first round half finished it done was this idea of, am I doing it right? Even while I was getting so much benefit out of it, I still had a lot of the perfectionist mindset that makes sense because i had it for 37 years. So why, why would why would it go away in eight weeks? But a lot of the, well, I'm not doing this this sort of thing right. And so therefore it's, it's not necessarily working. And what I've learned to appreciate is that, yeah, just because it's not going a hundred percent the way that you expect it to doesn't mean it's not working and doesn't mean that it's not worth doing.
1: Right. Yeah. Do you have specific moments where you saw that disconnect where you're like, okay, here's an area where I think I need to be doing it right or better.
2: I think I have struggled with that a lot with Monday hour one. My okay. Monday R one practice has evolved a ton. I feel pretty good about the deep work state stuff, but my Monday R one, I wrestled with that a lot for a long time because it is a lot of, Okay, I put this in here and I put this in there and then something happens and then I'm off and then you know, and then the whole day is, is complete <laughs> a complete disaster. I gotta just throw it out and I failed. And you know, that means I'm terrible at scheduling and I should never do this again. You know, all those fun things that your brain offers you. But what I've learned is that I schedule myself with a lot more grace and curiosity now. I give myself some flex time too, which I never used to do. I used to just set myself up for disaster, right? I would just like, every single hour of the day was accounted for and this, that, and the other, right? And and if I was swapped things around, then it was last minute. And that was a problem, right? I'm like, yeah. it's a problem if I decide it's a problem. If I have two blocks and I just decide that, you know what, it works better for me right now to switch the order... And I like my reason for it, then who cares? Nobody
1: cares. Nobody's like looking over my shoulder judging me, right? Who cares? Right. I'm like, there's no scheduling God and there's no Christina (laughs) looking over your shoulder judging being like, oh, interesting choice. Huh? Really? Really? You're going to do that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So the way that I think about Monday R1, and I think this is really what you've adopted, is I'm like, it's a way of scheduling that shows you your patterns. So yes, the point of the scheduling is to put things on your calendar and follow through so you get more done, like for sure. But it also is a portal to what's happening for you. So your example is so perfect. It's like if you are packing your Monday Hour 1 back to back to back to back under the pretense that you're always going to be wildly productive and always well-rested and always motivated, I don't see that as a problem. I'm like, oh yeah, of course you're doing that your expectations of yourself are super high. Now we know that. Now what adjustments do we need to make?
2: Yeah, I think that's been big. And I think for me, scheduling open blocks, like leaving blocks open has been just joyous. <laughs> it's been yeah. fun. I mean, it's it's been fun because I think a lot of times in what I do in my regular Day job, it's a lot of collaboration. And so there is that element of, you know, sometimes I just want to walk around the office and talk to somebody and kind of find out what's going on. And sometimes that means that we come up with an idea for a new project, or, you know, you just don't know when those sorts of interactions are going to lead to something. And so rather than feeling like I need to focus all the time and therefore, and then <laughs> berating myself when I don't do it, just leaving some open blocks or some flex blocks for me, it just feels so freeing. Like, yeah, no, I don't actually have anything
1: to do right now except just to think and let my brain do its thing, right? Yes, like wander, literally and and mentally.
2: Yeah, and and, it, and and it's been honestly, it has been so fun and so cool. I was actually just thinking because my, in my last position, I didn't have, I, I was, I was felt always packed and always uh, rushed. And I now have a lot more f- freedom and flexibility with my schedule and I really get to design it. And it has been so much fun for me just thinking about all these different projects I'm going to do. And, you know, maybe I should reach out to this person or suddenly I have, I have kind of a book of ideas now I'm just writing things down. And I realize. I'm so much
1: happier. I'm so much more creative because I'm being kinder to myself. Yes. Okay. So you, you're hitting on a lot of the emotions. So we'll come back to the emotions in just a minute. But I want to emphasize something you said, which is this idea of looking forward to projects. And that's in very strong contrast to what most people come into the program with, which is dread and fear and doubt.
2: Yeah, I know. I remember you asking, you asked on a call and you said, well, why do you guys do projects? And and nobody was saying anything. And I was like, cause they're super fun. <laughs> You're like, uh, wait, what? <laughs> you said, yeah, I love that. But, but people don't say that. I, I don't, I just love having projects. I just love having lots of projects. And I was talking to someone about this the other day because, and I was telling them, I was like, yeah, you know, my unique brand of genius, the thing that I'm good at that is not something that everybody has is that I'm super interested in a lot of different things. And so I'm able to collaborate and think about things in a different way. So I'm a pediatric oncologist and I'm a life coach and I have real estate investments. You know, I run a short-term rental business and I have an MBA and I'm doing health economics research. Right. And, <laughs> you know, so I'm just doing all of these things. And that's, what's so fun for me is just always being able to kind of go with what's new and exciting and interesting. I, so I love projects. I love them.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I just want everyone to just sit for a second as you're listening and just like let that thought permeate your brain. It's like, I love projects. And if you don't believe it, just see where do I believe that? Like where are projects fun? Where have projects been fun for me? And I'm like, this is, this is it. I'm like, this is what the experience that people can have. So it just like warms my heart that this is your mindset.
2: Yeah, I don't know. It's I think it's it's kind of funny because I never, didn't used to feel that way, right? I think I felt like, well, I'm a doctor, and so, and and I think academic medicine medicine kind of teaches this to you, which is you know you need to get all of your joy <laughs> out of being a doctor, right? Your weekends and your free time, you should spend reading up on articles and doing this stuff. And really, you know, you should only get joy out of having patients and, you know, your patient care experiences and all these things. And I realized that what happened was the person that I was when I was going to college and was super interested in all these different things and played sports and did music and, you know, photography and all these things, like that person had slowly just kind of faded into the background and I felt very one dimensional yeah and it's funny because now I don't feel that way at all I mean I went last Saturday with my daughter we just had some time off and we uh, I said okay let's go let's go do a project so we just went to the art store and decided that we were going to learn watercolors right how to (laughs) watercolor? why not right you know let's have a little art project that we do on the side too and now we get to do it together which is fun
1: Okay. I love this so much. And what I think is really cool is that you're talking about all these different roles that you have in your life, right? So you just kind of ticked through these businesses and the job and being a mother, all these things, and also feeling joy and free and flexible. And what I'm imagining people thinking is like, okay, but how? How do you have that many different roles in your life and also feel free and flexible and joyous?
2: Yeah, so there comes this idea of work-life balance, right? That people that people ask about which I I don't love that whole work-life balance. Like we <laughs> I don't know something about it seems heavy and not super authentic to me. I think what it is is I just try to find things that I enjoy and that I get value from that are fun to me and assume that that will eventually trickle down and benefit
1: other people. That is a big change from someone who's like, I can't invest in myself because I don't deserve it. Oh yeah. It's 180. Yeah. It's
2: totally, totally different. I I honestly, in a lot of ways, I'm very much the same person, but in so many ways I'm I'm so different between when I started and now. I feel very, I feel a lot calmer, a lot more centered in myself, a lot more compassionate towards other people and towards myself. And I think what I've noticed is that I spent a lot of time kind of beating myself up for things because I wasn't meeting some sort of hidden expectation. Yeah. And that, that never makes you feel better and that doesn't help anything. It's like, it, you know, I talk to my, my clients about this idea of a lot of times they'll think, well, if I do such and such, that makes me a bad parent. And, and there's really no upside to thinking that you're a bad parent. It doesn't help anything. The fact that you're thinking that you're a bad parent probably intrinsically means that you're not, first of all. (laughs) But also you just end up in this cycle of I'm a bad parent. Everything I'm doing is wrong. You second guess yourself. And then you're not really there in the moment parenting the way that you're showing up the way you want to for your kids, right? Right. Whereas if you think, oh, well, you know what? I am a really good parent and I sometimes make mistakes and that's okay.
1: Yeah it makes all the difference. Yeah, and I think to tie that back to productivity, it's the difference between being like I'm a procrastinator, I'm a perfectionist and I don't do anything and then you spend and then you spend all this time beating yourself up that further distracts you from the work versus being like okay, here's my wins. Here are my successes. Here are the things that I have done today. And also, I can improve the other areas, right? We're not saying there's not room for improvement, but first looking at, okay, where am I winning? Where am I succeeding? Okay, now let's move forward.
2: Yes, and I will say that that is something that I have, that I struggled with a lot and that I think is also a product of the work that I do, right? Which was very kind of punitive. I mean, it was a very literal, like if you don't, if you make a mistake, you could theoretically kill somebody, right? I mean, it was it was very high stakes and very punitive in that way. And and a lot of the medical education we got was, well, you know, um, we're running a code, and, <laughs> and are you doing things the correct way? And anytime you make a mistake, right? It's there's just a lot of eyes on you, and there's a lot of pressure. And so I think I always felt like, okay, well, i always have to look for the places I can I can improve. And I thought that that was a good thing, right? I thought that that was how I maintained myself as a good person and a good doctor was kind of always striving for more. But what I didn't realize is that it was messing with my own self-trust, right? Like my own ability to say, you know what? I'm f- also fine as I am right now. And, <laughs> and, I think that learning to celebrate those little wins has been something that has really, it's changed the way that I think about things with not just myself, but also how I relate to other people. So I, for example, I never was super great about, Celebrating things for myself, so I've just <laughs> it was just never really really good about that. And my husband has really always been wonderful at all that stuff, and what I realized was that I not only wasn't super great at, at celebrating myself, but I wasn't always necessarily the best partner at celebrating things that he had done. And so I'm constantly trying to think about now ways to celebrate these little moments so he's just finished his board exam and I just went out and bought him a little card and a little gift for him just for celebrating and it's not something I would have done a couple of years ago because I just I never really felt like I deserved something for, to celebrate and so it just didn't occur to me to do it to some, for someone else but it's made me a better mother and a better wife to be able to celebrate the little things as time goes on
1: I I think that's so neat. And just hearing you describe that, it's like perfect proof that starting with yourself and you celebrate your wins and you work on your confidence and your pride, right? It's the inside job first. It does have a ripple effect. If we go back to the beginning of like the reason why you didn't want to enroll in the first place was like, I don't deserve it, right? I think tell me if I'm wrong, that subtle thought of like my family will somehow lose by me doing this program versus now you're like, wait a second, everybody wins when I'm doing better.
2: Yeah. I think that's definitely true. And some of the things I found helpful was first of all, trying to find a win kind of at least every week when we were checking in with with each other and the half finished to done, that was really helpful. But also when I did it the second time, looking back longitudinally and seeing how far i had come so that was really really big for me because sometimes i think we don't give ourselves credit for the change that we've already we've already taken
1: yeah okay so let's talk about that so there was a gap between your first round of the program in january 2021 and then your second round which was this past year january 2022. okay so a year in between you came up with the coolest exercise. Can you do a super quick backstory on how you came up with that and then the results of that? I think I called it the
2: accomplishment roll call. <laughs> yep. And I think it came from you were you were asking me what so the second round for me was in a lot of ways a lot harder <laughs> than the first. Yeah. Because I had mastered the concept. So I knew how to do Monday R1 and I felt pretty confident with a deep work state. But then I realized that Oh, actually, now my job is to go back and deal with all the emotional stuff that I had really not had time to deal with the first round. And so, one of the things in terms of celebrating the wins that I was thinking about, okay, was well, okay, so now it's been a year since my last one. So, what have I done in the past year? What did I do that was I don't know, interesting, noteworthy. And I kind of thought about it as if you're doing this roll call and like all of your accomplishments are just lining up one by one, one you know, you're just calling, calling them out. (laughs) And so that's how I got the idea. And I think I, so I think I just posted in Slack, like, so here's all the things that I've done in the past year that are different. And it was a pretty lengthy list. I don't remember. I don't remember what was on it. (laughs) It was absurdly amazing and long. Yes. (laughs) And it also helped me to remind myself like, hey, I did that. Because a lot of times we think, oh, that happened to me, right? And I get that. But also if the change is something that you went after, right, you should give yourself
1: the credit for it. Can you, this is totally a leading question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. I'm trying to prove a point, which is my point that when we look at our wins, it actually increases our feelings of self-efficacy, confidence, self-trust, that feeling of like success that we're all desperately seeking. And when you do that first, you're actually more motivated to show up for the other work versus what I think people unconsciously believe is, screw the wins i don't have time to focus on that i need to just focus on all my problems and my challenges but that actually is really demotivating for most people
2: yeah i mean i don't know i guess i just imagine like if you're <laughs> if you're talking to a kid and you're trying to get them to do something are you going to tell them that they can do it or are you going to tell I mean, and look at all this evidence that you have done it or are you going to tell them you know no, you're terrible at this. And look at all these areas where you're not up to snuff. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Right. And yet we do it to ourselves
1: constantly. Yes. Oh my God. I love that child analogy. Cause I always use the boss analogy. I'm like, imagine you have a boss that's like, Hey, I need you to do this project. But just so you know, when you're finished with it, I'm not going to be pleased at all. I'm going to criticize you. And then I'm going to give you another big project to work on. So oh, I've, had,
2: I've had that boss. He told me the first <laughs> time I met him, he said, he said, my expectations for you will always exceed what you can accomplish. Oh my God. And I said, you can't tell a type A person that, right? You know, we all go crazy. And then, you know, long story short, I, I realized that I didn't actually have care at all about his expectations. And I realized it was all about my own expectations that I needed to to deal with. Yeah, But it took me a while to get there. So
1: yeah. Yeah. I love. Thank you so much for saying that thing about the kids, so I think that that's super powerful. So it's like, yeah, grounding yourself in your successes. Period. And also as a means of further motivating yourself. But I'm like that it's a it's a powerful standalone exercise even if it doesn't motivate you into more action, it made you feel better.
2: Yeah, I mean, who doesn't like feeling better? <laughs> a lot of people actually. <laughs> You'd be surprised. (laughs) Honestly, I think a lot of times when we, when we like not feeling good though, it's not that we like it. It's that we are, we feeling good doesn't feel safe Yes, because we are not conditioned to it. Right. So feeling good actually feels scary, which is why I think that this whole thing about telling yourself all the good things you've done, you're building up your tolerance for feeling good feelings. You're building up your, (laughs) your tolerance and you're helping repair your relationship with yourself, right? Because by the time someone comes and says, you know, Hey, I, I really need help because I'm procrastinating all the time. And I I have these projects I'm not feeling that their trust with themselves and their ability to finish something has really disintegrated. And so it does take steps to build that back up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Thank you for saying that. That's so true, is that we often think that the work of getting more done is about learning to sit more with your negative emotions so that you can actually do the work, which is true, for sure. Your capacity to feel negative emotions has to increase. But you're absolutely right that equally as important – Is the ability to feel positive emotions and not take yourself out of those emotions. So the example I always think of is like if you feel good and your immediate next thought is this won't last or I the other shoe is going to drop, it means your capacity to feel good just needs some work. So like I have a I've got in my personal life I've got a really good situation going on right now and my brain's like it's not going to last. You ruin it. Ruin it now. Start a fight. And I'm like. No, we don't need to do that. Let's just have fun for now. We're in the fun stage. Like it might not last, but I don't need to preemptively ruin it for myself. Yeah,
2: and also, it's okay that you know that there's a part of you that is scared, right? And trying to and trying to sabotage yourself, right? Like in this, I have had that also with you know with my job. I think a lot of physicians had some some trauma in their lives after the COVID-19 pandemic. And, you know, I was no exception. And I think that I've switched jobs now and I have a a very different sort of position and I love what I'm doing. And at the same time, yeah, I've been very uncomfortable recently. I've been, you know, going, well, it seems too nice here. (laughs) And and I'm waiting for something bad to happen. And so I, I have been working just on reminding myself, you know what, you're safe right now in this new job. And this is, this is uncomfortable sometimes, but you're physically safe, right? And emotionally safe, right? And, and it does feel strange to have to comfort yourself that way. But at the same time, that's another thing I think that you taught me was that, you know, what would it be like to have that, to really be just compassionate to yourself and that part of yourself that's scared, you're
1: gonna cry. (laughs) Had to happen. Yeah, I've been doing this recently. Like, if I am like I quote unquote meditate, but I really just like sit with my eyes closed, which to me just takes the pressure off. I'm like, I don't need to like clear my mind. It's just me with my eyes closed, and whatever happens during that time is meant to be. So if I like go to my inner self version, I'll be like, how are you doing? And that version of me has always for like years been like, am I doing okay? Am I doing okay? Am I doing it right? Which is so interesting. And recently that version of me is like, I'm okay. I'm good. I just want to play. Like you can leave me alone. I just want to play. And it's been so wild. Like that to me, seeing that transition of my inner child being okay is so profound to me. I'm like, holy shit like the younger version of me is not suffering. It's just wild to me and so when you say like the safety thing like that's what I've been doing with myself is I'm like I'll be I'll be like lying there with my eyes closed and I'm like this is what safety feels like it's profound
2: it is and what I didn't appreciate was that, it would affect me so much and not just me and how I deal with things all the time on a daily basis with my own life, but also how I take care of other people around me and how much more grace and compassion I have for them when they are acting out or doing things that I don't understand and how much I now think about, well, you know, I wonder if they're not feeling okay Right. Like there's something, there's something deep in there. That's not, that's not okay.
1: Yeah. Right. Anything else on that?
2: I don't know. I was just trying to think of an example of it. Cause I know I had one. It was, I noticed it when my son was, my son was getting upset at my daughter for being upset. <laughs> she was upset and He was telling her, you know, you shouldn't feel that way, right? And, you know, this is bothering me, and so you shouldn't feel that way. And I said, wait, 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 hold hold on. (laughs) He said, she's allowed to feel however she wants to feel, right? And we don't get to tell her that that's appropriate or not appropriate, right? And However, she's expressing her feelings. You can be as annoyed by or not annoyed by as you want. And I don't get to tell you that that's valid or not. Right. It (laughs) was, and, and, uh, you know, he's pretty headstrong. So he, he still has a lot of thoughts and ideas about this, but, but just being able to have that conversation so that I know that she's not getting the message, like your feelings are not valid or your feelings are not Right or, you know, so that she's able to stay in touch with that part of herself that says, this is what I'm actually feeling. And this is true.
1: That is such a good example. And I love the way that you're like, she gets to feel however she wants. And if you want to be upset about her feelings, that's also okay. Like (laughs) it's, that is such a nuance (laughs) and that it sounds like you did a beautiful job of articulating to your kids.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know. If he, he, uh, he doesn't always believe me, but, <laughs> but I will say he's pretty smart. And so we have talked about things a lot and about, about feelings about, um, you know, you being able to choose and have power. And I was telling him, I said, you know, it took me till I was almost 40 to be able to learn some of these things. And imagine how much better things are going to be for you because you're learning them when you're eight, nine, 10. Yeah. Right?
1: not outsourcing your power to other people. I'm like, these kids have no idea. Like, I don't think they'll ever probably be able to grasp what an insanely life-changing gift that is, right? I'm sure they'll be appreciative, but I'm like, just the depth of what could be versus what will be.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's the best thing that you can give, And that's why I think this whole thing is so powerful and why, investing in yourself is so powerful especially if you're a parent right because when you get these things it's literally generational change when you understand that you're worth investing in i mean my hope is that my daughter and my son never question whether they're worth investing in right that they never that they never think about you know i wonder if i should if i should do this because it's going to cost money and and you know all these other things. And and not to say that I want them to be frivolous with money or anything like that, but just that if they know, hey, I think that this is going to be something that's helpful to me, that they don't feel constrained (laughs) and feel like they need to deny themselves something that their body is craving or that their
1: mind is craving. This is so cool. Okay, I think this is actually a really good transition to one of the last questions that I want to ask you. So... When you were saying that, my thought was adopting the belief, I'm my best investment. And one of the things that I always say, and it's like half joking, but it's also for real, is I'm like, I return way better than the stock market. Like the stock market returns on average 7% a year. And I'm like, my brain returns well over 7%. A year, right? So I think about that in the context of just just peak coaching in my business. But I'm like, if you, for you as an example, I'm like, you've got you've got the business, you've got the rental companies. I'm like, you've got so many things that are that have potential to make money or are making money for you. And I'm like, if you're making above seven percent a year, it's better than the stock market. So I just think it's a funny thought, but I think. This is a a good transition. Yeah. What? T- pause. What are you thinking?
2: <laughs> I'm just laughing because like my short term rental makes eighty percent cash on cash. Right? Like, like literally, <laughs> literally, I took I I what I call I liberated my retirement account during the <laughs> CARES Act. <laughs> my salary was cut, so I got to take out uh, money from my retirement without paying tax or paying extra. penalty on it. I do pay taxes on all that stuff that I took out, which, you know, wasn't my favorite part, but, but just taking out that chunk of money and then using it to buy a short-term rental, which of course I had never invested in any real estate and everybody, I thought I was insane. And yet, you know, I finally listened to that voice inside of me, which was like, this is, this is going to happen. Like you have to do this. You, I I really, it came from within, like, you need to do this. This is going to happen. And that alone I mean, we doubled our investment in the first year, and so now it's been. So we've we've definitely made over six figures worth of money just in that one move, right? Yeah. Like just in that, and and you, then I don't, you know, and not to mention all the other things that that I've done, or that coaching and and mindset work and all these things have helped me do in terms of being more productive and scheduling my time so that I can have coaching clients. And, <laughs> and also just recognizing that I can make money in different ways. And, you know, I mean, all these other things that I can do or, or that I, I want a signing bonus. So I asked for one right where, where I might not have done it before because it was uncomfortable. Yes. All sorts of things. Yeah. So my brain is a money-making machine.
1: Okay. I love this. And I want to say that this is true of every single one of my clients is that Every client is taking the investment in half-finished to done live and the skills of half-finished to done live and using it to compound already existing skills. So we're not saying like, okay, the 16 total weeks that you spend in half-finished to done live is the reason that all of this is happening. Like we're not saying that at all. It's that half-finished to done live is the tangible, practical, and emotional skills to turn the dial up on the things that you want to be doing and already – at least somewhat believe that you can do.
2: Yeah. I mean, without having done half finished a done live, I can say I would not have joined the life coach school. Like, I would not never have invested in the life coach school, which for my coaching certification. And I <laughs> would not have started my podcast for parents of kids with cancer. Right. I mean, I, there's, there's so many things that I would not have done had I not been first willing to take kind of that baby step of, Hey, here's this investment and it's really uncomfortable for me to make this, but I'm going to do it and I'm going to be all in on it. And realizing that that, that, that was really important and that it was totally worth all the the money and the time I spent doing it. Right. Like none of those things happened without that first step.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a symbolic first step. And then you added the skill sets on top of that. So. Incredible. I'm like, your accomplishment roll call is going to be so long. We're just going to run out of paper. (laughs) I want
2: that for everyone. Everyone should have an accomplishment roll call like that. Yes.
1: If you are listening, do your accomplishment roll call. I'm like, you can send it to us.
2: (laughs) Yes, we will read it. We will read it and we will will tell you that you're
1: doing a great job. But we don't need to tell you because you should be able to tell yourself. (laughs) That's right. That's right. We'll just tell you as a bonus. Yeah. I am so freaking proud of you. Speaking of which, <laughs> I am going to tell you that I'm proud of you even though you're already proud of yourself. But incredible. Just the the moves that you've made in the past year and a half are extraordinary. And then just there's the money wins and there's the time wins and there's all of that, but I have to say to me the biggest win is always the emotional win. And so that that joy and the freedom and the flexibility and the creativity. I'm like, to me, that is always the most worth it. So I love hearing you talk about that.
2: Thank you. I really appreciate it. And, and I have to say, I, I really appreciate that you put yourself out there and that you gave and created some free content so that I could feel safe engaging with, you know, at the beginning and that you did hold space and question my ideas and, and <laughs> that you were patient with. Because I know that some that a lot of times people can be and just, you know, speaking as friends, like I I know that sometimes it can be intimidating or people tell me that I can be intimidating, but I never felt like that. (laughs) You were you were concerned about that or worried about that and you know, I just felt like I could just be myself and be vulnerable and be upset or angry or whatever (laughs) it was or
1: uncomfortable and, and it was it was okay. Yeah. Good, good. You're so welcome. Thank you for trusting me. Okay, <laughs> I won't cry again. <laughs> we we'll dear. here. Where can people follow up with you? Send their accomplishment roll calls.
2: Yes. So I am on Instagram at Kids Cancer Coach on Instagram. You can also find me on Facebook uh, as uh, Samara Potter, and also um, you can always email me. I'm
1: at samara potter
0: coaching at gmail.com.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much for joining today. It was awesome to talk to you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Half Finished to Done podcast. If you're ready to become a self assured repeat project finisher, the best place to work with me is in my eight week group coaching program, Half Finished to Done live. You'll leave our time together with one finished project and the skills you need to finish any project, personal or business in the future. Just head to peakcoaching.co slash HFD live for your next step. Can't wait to work with you.